0: Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, your pew Bible that begins on page 61. Exodus chapter 20, I'll read the first 21 verses. Hear now God's holy word. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, And Moses, I'm sorry, and he said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So the word of the Lord, and we thank God for it. Let me pray. Lord thank you as we've been looking now several weeks at these 10 words that you've given to your people Lord we've we've just begun to scratch the surface of both the depth of our depravity and how horrendously we sin before you but also we've only scratched the surface at the at the depth of your mercy of the the reality of what you have actually done in forgiving us. And so we pray, Lord, that in each of these things, both our rightly understanding our own sinfulness and rightly understanding your holiness and mercy, oh, Lord, that we would greater rejoice in the gospel, that we would seek to live it out not just generically but very specifically in all of these aspects of our lives individually and as families, together as a congregation and as part of your, your church throughout the whole world. Lord, we pray that you would lead us. Holy Spirit, we, we cry out to you and ask that you would give us ears to hear. Allow us to receive your word as you have intended it. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So the specific command that we're looking at today is the ninth in verse 16, where he says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, as usual, I have in your order of worship the Notes to go along with with the sermon, and uh, I I always prepare those for Kristen to print up on Thursday to to prepare, and and sometimes there are some things that that I I figure out after Thursday, uh, and so that's that's always one of the the challenges. So as you look at your notes, you'll notice that that I'm going to flip numbers one and two. So we're gonna we're gonna start with two uh, first, but. But in in looking at these things, I want us to to recognize what we're seeing in the whole of these Ten Commandments, or these Ten Words that God gives to his covenant people, that that he gives us these things as defining what it means to live in covenant with both God and with one another. He's, He's helping us to understand what that means. And so my role as your pastor and shepherd is to try to make sense of this in terms of of what do we do with that how how are we to understand this but not just what are the specifics of it but but also the whys that are driving it what what what's the purpose why has god chosen these particular 10 things to summarize the whole of what it means for us to be God's own holy people in covenant with him. And so the first thing I want us to see is that he's made us to represent him and others truly. What I'm going to do is just walk through the text and, and you know the last couple of weeks we've only had two Hebrew words in most of the commands. This one gives us a little more than that. But it's also not only understanding the words that he gives us, but the context in which those words are given to us. So let's look at you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What I'd like to do is to show you the emphasis on each one of these different things. The first is you. He, he doesn't just say, hey, everybody. He says particularly to his covenant people, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And, and that you is focused on the people that are in relationship with God. And As we've, we've been going through, and sometimes I, I know it sounds like I'm a broken record and repeating things, there are some things that we need repeated over and over again because we don't get them. That you, you must not, we dare not approach these as 10 steps to God. If I, if I do one, two, three, well, I'm doing okay through maybe six or seven, and then, oh, okay, now i got some things to work on. Now, that, that's not the approach that God gives or even allows for us to have in coming to these ten words. Because, as we saw in the prologue, he starts off saying, I'm the Lord, your God, who's brought you up out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I have delivered you. I have redeemed you. I have made you mine. You are now in this covenant relationship with me that's very similar to when we take vows as husband and wife. And and this is not a sermon that God has given a young couple just beginning to date. He's giving it to this couple that is marrying God and his people. And that he's saying, this is how it's going to work in our marriage together. I'm the one who redeems you. I did that without any help from you whatsoever. And now having redeemed you and brought you to this place of entering into this covenant relationship with me, let me tell you what I'm going to make you into. This is not, okay, dig deep, work hard. As much as it's a glorious picture of who God is going to make us as his people to be. That when Christ comes again, it will be to gather us to himself and glorify us in ways that we will always and only ever love him alone as our, as our God. Where we won't even be able to contemplate having other gods before him. Where we won't have any even desire or temptation to make idols. Or to take his name in vain. We will always and only ever delight in saying his name like a lover says their lover's name and that we will not only rightly rest in him as our lord of the sabbath but that we will joyfully honor those that God has given us into relationship with and value and validate their lives and honor our commitments like the covenant commitment of marriage. That in all of these things both in our relationship with God and with one another we will always and only do that in a holy way. And so he's describing for us what this holy community is to be like. That even though we will know that in fullness then that we're to actually start now. That these things are to characterize us. Some of you are, are in school or other training, and you've got a, a teacher or a professor or a mentor or a master craftsman who's who's telling you what you need to do to learn how to be the the craftsman or the teacher or the whatever you're training to be. And every once in a while they'll have something where they say, Oh, you know what? I'm gonna be busy that day, we're not gonna have class. We're we're not we're not going to be learning about those things. And, and for most of us, what happens when we do that, when we hear that? Yes! Right? I don't have to think about that today. But, but rather, this isn't just something that we're doing for making a living. But, but it's like, okay, we, we get the, the day off. If, if there's a snow day and we don't get to come here to, to worship him, we, we don't just say, oh, great, I get to sleep in. But that we want to be more like Jesus, even if we don't get to gather and do it together. That, that this is the representation of, of what he's getting at in these ten words. So he says, you, that, that's us, the people of God. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor." And then he not only talks to us, but he says, you shall not. It's it's a prohibition. He's telling us there are things that are not appropriate for God's people to ever do. And that God himself commands us, you must not. That he's not doing that to be a killjoy. He's not doing that because he wants to keep us from the good stuff but because he's a loving father who wants to keep us from the stuff that kills us. The stuff that destroys us and other people. The stuff that is vile and disgusting and always leads to death. So God is not speaking to just anybody. He's speaking to God's people, you. And he's not giving us a... a, recommendation or an opinion he's saying you shall not you shall not bear false witness what does it mean to bear this is, this is fascinating as, as you look at the, the words that God used to, to give us these commands there are lots of Hebrew words for speak or tell the truth or lie here he uses a, a word particularly for uh, bearing or representing, but that has a hugely wide uh, range of meaning. Uh, I think uh, uh, Sinclair Ferguson was talking similarly about a, a word in the adult Sunday school class that he said is very stretchy. <laughs> this, this bearing is a stretchy word. In fact, it can mean from to dwell or to sing, to testify or reply, to shout or announce. It it has to do with much more than simply what you say. That it is a comprehensive term used more than 300 times in the scripture, in the Old Testament in particular to talk not just about whether we say truthful things, but the way that we speak and testify and sing and delight in and to live in that this is this is more than just something that we say externally but this is getting at what Jesus is saying when he says no it's not the stuff that comes into your mouth that can defile you it's the stuff that comes out of you the the stuff that that resides that dwells in you the what you bear witness to that is false is is not just oops i i I told a little white lie, right? Have have you found yourself never really admitting that you you tell some big whopper lies? It's always other people that tell big whopper lies. We just, I misspoke. That's not quite right. No, it smells like smoke. It's from the evil one, the father of lies. When we represent things falsely, That's not telling the truth. It's not bearing true witness. And and it's abhorrent to God. And it's destructive to us and one another. See, one one of the reasons why we're having a retreat next weekend is because we as a congregation have fallen into some habits of speaking things that are not only not true but they're destructive to our brothers and sisters. And that we need to recognize that and then stop it. And not only stop speaking falsely, but speak instead true witness that builds one, other, one another up. You shall not bear false witness. What is a false witness? witness. And, and why is it couched in legal language? Right? I, I remember this because I've been through several different ethics classes. We had ethics in high school. We had ethics in college. We've had ethics in grad school. Now we've got ethics in post-grad school. And, and you get at these kinds of things, and it's always those, those difficult things of, okay, well, what if, what if the SS is interviewing you and you have Jews hiding in your home? And they ask you is, is there anyone here but you? Well now you have a moral quandary right? Ethics. If I say well yes we're hiding a dozen people in the barn, right? They will shoot me and all 12 of them. Doesn't seem like a good option, right? But God says don't lie. And then there's always that annoying person in your class, right? Um, excuse me, actually God never says don't lie. He says don't bear false witness. Right? So it's an SS agent. You can lie, lie, lie. It's fine. What, what do you do with those moral quandaries, right? And those are, those are good and important moral quandaries. But to understand and work through those things, it's most important that we understand what he's actually saying here that there are plenty of places in the scripture where he says, don't lie. So, for instance, in Psalm 34, he says, "Oh, come, children, listen to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit or from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. Well, that's very true and is a specific thing in terms of addressing the importance of truthfulness in what we say. And that, that is a part of what he's getting to, but he's also saying so much more than that here, because what he's talking about here in Exodus 20 is not just a litany of some things to talk about, or to do or not to do. What he's doing is he's summarizing the whole of what it means for us to act like the people of God who are following a holy, right, and true God. And so he says, you shall not bear false witness. He uses this language intentionally and particularly because it is not just for when we are under oath. Right? Jesus talks about this later in the Sermon on the Mount. He says he knows the deceptiveness of our heart and that we will do backflips to justify what we're doing as not really wrong, just kind of unfortunate. Because Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Not, don't just tell the truth when you're saying, oh, I swear, with the Lord is my witness. This is true. You ever notice when people are talking about things and they, they keep repeating? Well, I, truthfully, I, I really want you to know, honest to the Lord, this is, this is true. You know, when people say things like that, I start thinking, okay, so what are you lying about? You protesteth too much. You're going on and on and on and about how what you're saying is true. Shouldn't that be what you're saying all the time? Not just when you're really making a point. Oh, oh, this is, this is actually a place where I'm supposed to be truthful. What? Um. No, what God says is that among his people, his people in his community are to be truth tellers. They're to be under oath witnessing to the truth of God in all situations. You shall not bear false witness has to do with God's purpose for us as his witnesses. The New Testament talks about us being ambassadors for Christ. That in that way we are always witnessing to, testifying to, giving witness to God's truthfulness. And then it says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor that's interesting in the previous three commandments he doesn't simply say you shall not murder your neighbor you shall not commit adultery with your neighbor's wife you shall not steal from your neighbor, those are just don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal why here does he include the specificity of the, you're not giving false witness against your neighbor. Emmanuel Kant talked about that in terms of the the uh, the mandate for truthfulness in community is all the more greater. It it is that truth is the necessary foundation for community. If there's no trust. You, you might be nice to one another, but that's not real community. No, that, that being part of God's covenant people, not only do we need to be truthful to God, but we also need to be truthful to one another, to bear true witness to one another of who God is, who, of who he's made us to be, and what we're to do together. This is the communal aspect of being part of God's people and again let me just encourage you to come next weekend these are the kinds of things we're going to go into more detail about how do we actually do these things practically in our in our everyday lives this defining element of God's community of his people is that we're truthful with him and one another Jeremiah 23 says it this way, Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord. Those who lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness, saying things that I have not said nor charged them to say, so they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. This ties again in what we were seeing last week of the commandment to not steal is not just to take things from other people, but is to give them what they owe. What you owe them. The reality is, is we owe our neighbors the truth. We need to deal with one another from a position of truth. And that's where the second point that used to be the first point comes in here, that all truth is God's truth. That, that we need to understand that this is not just talking about factual accuracy, although it certainly is not less than that. That, that again, this is not a laundry list of do these things. It's not like God is saying, okay, wash the, the bright colors, uh, bleach the whites, uh, and then wash the pastels in cold water as, as three separate things that you would do on your, on your laundry list. No, what he's giving us is defining characteristics of who we are to be as God's holy people. And so we find that all truth is actually grounded in God himself. You cannot know the full truth about a thing without knowing that God has created it. Without knowing the purpose for which God has given it to us. That as we often do where we take things that God has given us without even so much as a side glance to him and then use the very things that he gives us for purposes that go against what he's given them to us for. No, God is true in everything and all truth is his. Turn with me to page 901 in the scripture. We had earlier read from John chapter 14. Turn there in your pew bible starting at page 901 this is from John 14. And we read earlier in the service this first section. I just want to pull out some of the things for you because we, we were reading through it quickly, and you may not have caught all of these things. What we find here in John chapter 14, page 901, is, is that we find that God is not only truthful, but that all three persons of the Trinity are referred to as truth. That truth is a defining aspect of their character. We, we know Jesus, the, the most uh, uh, familiar passage here is verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. As I was looking at the, this week, I kept being struck by how so often we just emphasize the first part of that. Jesus is the way, Jesus is the way. There's no way to the Father except through him. And that's very much correct. But he doesn't just say that he is the way. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And that all of those are tied in together with the truthfulness, not just that I need to believe Jesus and not just Buddha or whatever other person you want to put in, in place there but the truthfulness of who he is is related to his love for the Father and the Father's love for him in sending him to win for himself a bride, the church. And that, yes, we need to understand the specifics of the gospel. One, I'm a sinner, and I need salvation. Two, Jesus actually says that he is that savior and he's come because I can't save myself and, and it was such a, an impossibility for me that, that he had to die in my place on the cross and then rise again from the dead just as he had promised to not only care, take care of the wrath that I deserve but also give me the new life and the resurrection that I couldn't have any other way. And that Jesus has now ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where he even now is interceding, praying for me and all of those who are his. As he prepares a place for us, that he's going to come back and deliver us out of this life of sin and death and give us into a new heaven and new earth where we can live together with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit forever in glorification. That 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 is the truth that is the central truth of all things that anything having to do with reality in creation is part of that picture you see how that works Well, how are black holes in relationship to anything else I don't know but I do know this they're there because God created them and he created them as the stage upon which the central truth of all truths is being played out. God's love for his beloved so that he might be glorified in redeeming a bride unto himself. See, that's, that's the, the truth at the center, not just of black holes, but, but of every leaf that's fallen on the ground. You know, why, why, do, why do the leaves fall? Well, silly, because it's fall. That's what happens. You're in New England. You don't know that yet? Oh, no, no, no. Someone says, no, it's, it's not because it's fall. It's because the, the leaves have chlorophyll. And this is how the process works. Right. Who made the process? Right? Everything, anything, traces back to what God has done. And all of that is connected to the reality of God's great love for himself, the Father, loving the Son, loving the Holy Spirit, them all working together so that they might save a people unto themselves so that their name might be glorified in all the earth. That's what we're to bear witness to. And then, yes, in all of the after effects of that, all of the realities to tell truthfully what is the case, To not shade something for our benefit. To not misrepresent something so so that we don't have to pay more. Or that we don't have to do more. But to submit all things to the glory of Christ. So that we might represent him accurately, truthfully, rightly. So that he receives the glory for all that he's done. All truth, it's God's truth. He says it here that it's true. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, he says that he's speaking only what the Father has sent him to say, so the Father is truth. And then look how he refers to the Holy Spirit in verse 17. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all the truth. And they've revealed themselves to us through his word, that we might then understand him. And so he, he, in committing himself to his covenant people, says, I am the truth, and so you as my people must not represent anything other than the truth. And lastly, we find that Jesus conquered deceit with truth. It's like the old children's song, overcome evil with good. Yes, Jesus did come and conquer sin through death on the cross. But again, what do we see in that death on the cross? The truth of God's great love for us. How did Satan tempt Jesus himself? He came with deceit. He took God's words and twisted them just a little bit. How did Jesus answer every one of those things? With the truth. Bearing true witness to who he is and so must we in everything bear witness to the truthfulness of who God is and what Jesus has come to do there are lots of other things that I could go on and, and talk about how later in John's gospel Jesus in describing the whole of his ministry he says for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world why? to bear witness to the truth See, when God tells us, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, he's pointing to this whole reality of what it means for us to be in Christ. To think, to speak, to do only what is true and good and honoring to God. And the hard reality is is that we don't do that. None of us here do that. But you see, that's the great thing about the truth, is that Jesus has come to rescue sinners just like you and me. So if you've never done that before, that's the first step. You you can't do any of the other stuff until you've actually submitted to Christ and said, Yes, the truth is you're the Lord. And I want to represent that truthfully. I want to agree. I want to confess. I want to profess. I want to bear that truth that you, Jesus, are the only Lord. And I bow before you. Now, if you've already done that, your work's not done. The rest of our lives is learning more and more how to bear that truthful witness. How to turn from the false witness that we so readily give Instead of the true witness that we're supposed to give, well, what do you do about that? He, he doesn't have to die on the cross again, does he? No, he died once and for all. So that you and I can keep coming back to him and saying, You are Lord, that's the truth. And I'm a failed servant who keeps denying you. Remember Peter? Peter, I'll never, I'll never deny you, Lord. If they, if they kill me, I'm still going to bear right witness to you. Oh, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. Before morning, you're going to dem- deny me three times. And then what did Jesus do? After he rose from the dead, what did he do? He went to Peter. Peter. And he didn't let Peter go into this long, you know, well, I'm sorry, Lord, and this and that, you know. <laughs> I've forgiven you. So feed my sheep. Bear witness to the truth. We can only do that by faith in Christ. So let us joyfully believe him. He really is the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that for this reason you came and for this reason you lived to bear witness to the truth. And that while Pilate could not understand that and asked, what is truth? Lord, we know that the truth is knowing you, the Lord of the truth, receiving your forgiveness being changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit that we more and more might rightly bear witness to you who alone is the truth. We pray, Lord Christ, in your name.